Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harmon and you know it's the NFL offseason because I'm joined by not one of the other Yahoo goofballs here. It's Jordan Reed, NFL draft analyst uh, from ESPN. Jordan, uh, I'm very excited uh, to have you help me preview the 2022 NFL draft because I am still kind of like making the transition from free agency to draft coverage, but you live and breathe this stuff, man. First, before we jump into all of it, welcome to the show and kind of tell me a little bit about how you ended up at ESPN, man, because like I, that was one of the news items that came along the, the timeline. I've been following you for a while and I was very jacked up to see you land in such an awesome spot. Yeah, well, first and foremost, just it's a pleasure being here, Matt. I followed your work for a very long time, and I'm appreciative of everything that you do, not only for the fantasy community, but just for football in general. So, of course, we've been friends for quite a few years now. Never had an opportunity to get on a podcast together, so this is a first for our relationship. So it's a pleasure Hell being yeah. here. But but my journey, it was completely unexpected as far as ESPN from that <laughs> standpoint. So I'm just blessed to be in the situation that I am. So I'll start all the way over with my journey. I actually played quarterback at a small FCS school called North Carolina Central University. Everybody has heard of Duke before. It's about five minutes away from there in Durham, North Carolina. Played quarterback there for four years, started for three, went into co- went into college coaching right after that. I was a graduate assistant at my alma mater for two years, and then I ended up was fortunate enough to get a full-time position uh, after that coaching quarterbacks and running backs was able to be there up until 2018. And I had twin daughters. So I wanted to get in a situation of where I had a little bit more job security, just because we both know with, with college coaching, you can be in one place one, one year and then be gone the next. So I just wanted to get into a situation of where just wanted a little bit more job security, but where I could stay in the game. So took a chance on myself and I, Really got into the blog industry, wrote for about 5 to $10 per article, just writing scouting reports and draft reports. We've for all guys. been there. We've all been like yeah, the, the just, five ten dollars article yeah, days. Yeah, just doing that, writing scouting reports, strengths, weaknesses, some of the things that I see, then started a social media account, and then it's blown up ever since that point. And then I did that for, for a year, a year and a half. And then after that, that's where the draft network came into into the equation. They were looking for somebody with a scouting background, also coaching and playing experience too. So thought I was a great fit for them. They took a chance on me, which was great. It was an upstart company about a year in at the time. And I'm fortunate enough to be in a situation that I am after that. And then this was about, 
October of last year, I got an unexpected uh, DM from some executives from ESPN they had no idea that they were following me on Twitter. And they asked would I be interested in joining ESPN. And I was like, are you kidding me? Absolutely. I thought it was, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was like a burner account with somebody like trying, I thought it was a hoax or something like that. So just, just a great situation to be in. I have great colleagues with Matt Miller, Mel Kuyper, and then also Ty McShay, three people that I have a really good relationship with now. So it's just a great situation to be in. That's awesome. I wanted Jordan to kind of tell that story so that the listeners out there uh, could know he's legit, right? Like playing quarterback, going through the coaching ranks. Uh, so I appreciate you diving into that. Uh, and I appreciate anybody who can uh, throw out a couple of uh, North Carolina geography nugs like that. So, uh, that. That's good. That's welcomed on this show. Um, before we jump into the NFL draft stuff, we are going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, news and notes of the day, starting with the rule change. NFL owners have passed uh, an overtime proposal allowing for both teams to have a possession for playoffs only. Uh, Jordan, what was your takeaway from from that one? I just don't understand why it's playoffs only. Like, just yeah. make it regular yeah, right. season and playoffs just because it's kind of like a loser mentality to me. Like, okay, you're fine with tying during the regular season, but when the playoffs come, everybody gets a chance. So it happens. We talked about this a little bit pre-show. It's just so reactionary with some of the rule changes with the NFL. And I'm not blaming this on the Buffalo Bills, but I think that was the game that really – was the turning point for the overtime rules just because that duel between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in that playoff game, everybody wanted to see Josh Allen get the ball in his hands one more time. But unfortunately he wasn't able to do that. And the NFL is all about ratings. Like if you have two yeah, good quarterbacks exactly. like that dueling back and forth, you want to have the peak of ratings and then just seeing Josh Allen get another opportunity. I think that's why this rule came all about. Yeah, I get it. Obviously, I think part of me, though, is it looks back at that Chiefs and Bills game. It's like, really, that wasn't good enough for you. Like that was one of the best right. football games of all time. We should be able to just rest on that. But, you know, it is what it is. Obviously, you said like ratings push everything. Quarterbacks move ratings. I do think we're getting further and further away from anybody being able to to sell us the. Well, I guess I guess defense still wins championships, right, Jordan? But uh, quarterbacks and, and NFL offenses push uh, the dollar for. Forward. So I guess that's where we lie with this whole rule change. But of course, uh, we move forward. Uh, Sean McVay says that Aaron Donald is going to return for 2022. They're just trying to hammer out a contract. Jordan, obviously, I don't think anybody uh, needs you to sit here and break down why Aaron Donald being back for the Rams is important. But did you ever even believe for a second that he wasn't going to going to come back? I, I kind of did, honestly, just mm -hmm. because. Now that he has the Super Bowl ring, what more does he have to accomplish? Yeah. I think he's arguably one of the best defensive players that we have ever seen. The sack totals and the stats speak for themselves. He's made hundreds of millions of dollars already. He just didn't have any more to prove after that Super Bowl ring. And I could see him doing, not like an Andrew Luck, but as far as somebody that's just accomplished a whole bunch and then just retiring at a young age. So I kind of did believe it. But everybody says once you win that first championship, you kind of get that itch to get another after that. So I understand why he's coming back. Yeah, that was kind of my thing. It's like, well, you know what he could have to accomplish? Be a two-time Super Bowl winner, you know, potentially yeah. get a, a Super Bowl MVP uh, at some point, you know. So I, I think there is – there, there's still some more things he could check, uh, you know, and another contract obviously I think is in the works here, but of course, like he's a huge part to this Rams uh, defense. He's a huge part to the team in general. Um, I think they're, you know, you look around the rest of the NFC, there's not much besides them in Tampa that really scares you in that particular conference right now. 
Yeah, I mean, it's those two in Green Bay, but we know Green Bay, they look really good during Transition. the regular season. But for, yeah, for whatever reason, they just can't get over the hump of that divisional game or even the NFC title game. All right, a couple of uh, just quick signings to hit on here, and you can tell me if you have any major reaction to either one of these. Uh, I don't particularly care that much. Ronald Jones, truthers in fantasy, will get to live another year. Uh, <laughs> he gets a one-year, $5 million contract from the Kansas City Chiefs. Andy Reid said the team's going to give him a chance to be, quote, a major part of the offense. Uh, well, we know he will not be a major part of passing downs. Uh, also, Saints head coach uh, Dennis Allen said Taysom Hill's going to focus on playing tight end this offseason and corresponding move there they signed Andy Dalton to a one-year deal. Uh, either of these transactions really moved the needle for you, Jordan? No, not at all. I mean, <laughs> the, the biggest thing that I'm wondering from that is like, why did they waste Taysom Hill's time at quarterback, especially with that contract? I just don't understand what the process was behind that. Maybe that was a Sean Payton ordeal now. Now that he's gone, maybe they want to play him at a true position that they think he can provide some value at, which I always thought he was a tight end fullback type just because, I mean, I thought they were fooling themselves playing him at quarterback just because he can't throw the football. So maybe he'll have some fantasy implications in the red zone. Maybe he'll have some red zone targets and I guess you could touch down here and there. But I just don't see that. I I like Taysom Hill. I interviewed him before. He's a nice enough guy, but Oh my God. I'm already dre- As soon as I saw this news item, I was like, I'm just dreading the positional eligibility um, discussion yeah. there. You, you, uh, at ESPN, like you, you can keep the, leave that to Matthew Barry and the boys over there. Yeah. Don't, you don't <laughs> want to touch the positional eligibility stuff. Uh, I have sworn it off myself, but still get caught up in the waves every now and again. So yeah, not, neither of these is a big uh, signing. Of course, we'll see what happens with Ronald Jones. I, I do think Jones like has had his moments as a nice like just as a pure runner, he's like an NFL caliber rusher, but there are major holes to his game. You would think like in an ideal world, like, okay, Ronald Jones takes some early down work. Clyde Edwards, Alaire chips in there as well. Uh, We just haven't seen CH become like a big part of the passing game. Like he was at LSU so far in the NFL, but maybe that changes as the offense kind of refigures itself without Tyree kill there. Yeah. And I've always said like Tyreek is one of one, like there's nobody that's going to replace him. You kind of have to use two to three people to replace his production and just the value that he bought to that offense. We've already seen them sign Mark Valdez-Scantley, who can be that deep threat. Now I think they're probably going to draft somebody high, having two first round picks in the back end of the first round. So I'm pretty sure that they're going to take another receiver along with Juju Smith-Schuster. I think that was a really good signing too. They actually tried to get him last year, but things didn't really work out. So it better late than never. Uh, if I yeah, was Juju, right. I would have went. I would have went there last year. I think he really could have helped himself, especially financially. But he's on a one-year deal, so we'll see how it does turn out. Ends up getting about the same amount of money, or maybe even like a couple million dollars more than he probably would have gotten from the Chiefs last year. So it's basically just like, ah, let's just pretend that last year in yeah. Pittsburgh never happened. Basically, <laughs> um, all right, let's move into the what we got Jordan in here for, which is to talk about the NFL draft. Uh, I kind of want to just again do like a high level overview of this uh, this whole class right now, this whole draft, because I'm still figuring it out myself, and I'm sure the listeners are also transitioning away from free agency coverage again into the draft. So let's dive right in. First of all, what's just kind of like the general vibe of this class and what i mean by that is kind of like is it a strong class where is it where is it you know carry the most strength like when we look at this class from a a holistic wide angle lens where do we fall with the whole thing well i think it's a very strong and deep class now i will say this it's not as strong or it doesn't have the star power at the top like we saw last year 
just because we knew walking through the door that Jamar Chase was going to be a number one wide receiver. We knew Jalen Waddle was going to have an instant type of impact. And as much time as we spent talking about Devonta Smith weighing 166 pounds, we knew if you just turn on the tape, we knew his skills were going to translate just based on what he showed at Alabama. I don't think there's any star power like that in this group, but I think there's some guys that definitely can help you out. Whether it's the and Drake Kyle London. Pitts was like a generational, yeah. you know, yeah. tight end prospect, and I don't know that we have anyone that was is getting the generational tag in this year's class. No, I think it's just a solid group overall. I will say this is a bit of a smaller group outside of Drake London. I think you have a bunch of six foot, six foot one type of guys that are really good route runners, and we'll get into some of these guys. But Drake London is a bit of an outlier as far as some of the body types in this group. But there's a lot of guys that I like. Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. He's my top ranked guy right now. The name that immediately came to mind when watching him was Stefan Diggs when he was coming out of Maryland. And I know that's high praise. And I will say this, I think when you're using NFL comparisons, I'm speaking more along the lines of playing style. I'm not really projecting what they will be on the next level, just because I think that's unfair to a lot of guys. But Garrett Wilson is one that I like a lot. That Ohio State duo is really good. Chris Olave from Ohio State, along with Garrett Wilson. He's another one that I think has a really good chance of going somewhere in the top 20 or top 25 or even earlier. I think he could go in that range, especially now with Green Bay with two first round picks. I think that would be a terrific landing spot for him. If he was go to go to Green Bay at 22, Kansas City would be a really good spot for him too, even though they did sign Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I think just having another speed element to that offense with Patrick Mahomes, I think he would be a really good fit there. Drake London from USC, a big day for him on April 5th. He's going to have his own private workout just because – only played in eight games, I believe it was last year. He had an ankle injury, ended up fracturing his ankle. But prior to that point, 88 catches over 1,200 yards and then double-digit touchdowns too. So he was on his way to a really, really good a year overall. And then there's a bunch of depth in this class overall. Jahan Dyson from Penn State is probably more of a late first, early second-round guy. So there's just names I could go on and on about in this class, yeah. but it doesn't have the star power at the top like we saw a year ago. Sticking with the wide receivers, um, I feel like every year, almost since 2018, but definitely 2019, 2020, uh, and 2021. Although I will say that the 2019 receiver class wasn't like as heralded prior to the draft, but looking back on it, it's like, good God, you know, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, um, you know, there's a lot of Terry McLaurin, you know, there's a lot of guys that you could argue are, you know, some of the 10 best players the position uh in football right now so looking back on it that was a great class 2020 was hyped up going into it 2021 was hyped up you just ran down a bunch of guys this year uh that are great I feel like every single year we talk about the depth of the receiver position what's your theory on why there is seemingly so much depth at that position right now basically every single draft well it's simple like when I was college coaching and I got more in-depth and intel about this when I was coming up in the college ranks is everything is based on seven on seven. Like we are in the middle of the seven on seven era right now. So quarterbacks and wide receivers, and then also defensive backs, they're coming out every single year with these strong classes, just because everything is predicated upon seven on seven. That is really all these kids do. And they started at a young age, like they're starting in middle school with these seven on seven tournaments. There's competitive teams now where there's AAU or travel teams. Like it, it gets really serious with this, with these seven on seven tournaments. So these wide receivers are getting so much more reps as opposed to about a decade ago when seven on seven was popular, but it wasn't in a competitive manner. So being in the middle of the seven on seven era and then, you know, rivals and two, four, seven, 
all these four and five star guys getting really traveling the country right now doing these seven on seven tournaments. They're getting so many more reps than what we were accustomed to a decade ago. So I don't want to say wide receiver is the new running back from a financial standpoint, but as far as like you can find these guys in any round now, and I think we're going to have really rich wide receiver class for the next five or six years. And it wouldn't surprise me if it goes even longer than that, just because of the seven on seven era that we're in right now. It's interesting, the running back comparison, right? Because obviously teams have shied away from making big outside moves at running back. I mean, still, like when guys find, you know, Christian McCaffrey types or Alvin Kamara types, you know, even Todd Gurley types, you know, several years ago. And some of those moves haven't looked great in hindsight. But teams typically try to pay and retain their own guys, but they don't go outside their own building, you know, to acquire big time running backs in the free agent market, uh, you know, big time running backs in the trade market at this point. Um, like there were rumors about, hey, the, you know, Giants would love to trade Saquon Barkley. Nobody's biting on that. Nobody's biting on Christian McCaffrey, those type of trade rumors. But, Big swings, obviously, by the Dolphins and Raiders at the top, the tippy, tippy top of the wide receiver position. So I think it's like now we'll see in three years, we'll be able to judge, like, do you want to pay top of the market money to yeah. uh, Devontae Adams, who's, I think, unquestionably the best receiver in football? Like, he has yeah. no holes in his game. He's a flawless player. He would make every team better. Or do you want to hunt for depth in the NFL draft? And, and maybe both things can be right in this way. I have a question for you, too, just because I think this is something that a lot of people aren't talking about right now that I think is coming up that I think is really going to get interesting. DK Metcalf in Seattle. Seattle's going through a rebuild right now. He's entering the final year of his deal. He was a second-round pick, so they're not able to go through the whole fifth-year option with him. I would entertain a trade if I was Seattle just because you're going through that phase of do you pay him? And now wide receivers are going for what Tyreek got with. 30 million a year or 20 million a year. I believe it was close close to 20, 20 million a year. And is DK going to be happy in that offense with true lock? He's going to get a lot of targets, but is he going to get the yards? I don't know just because they're not going to have consistency with the quarterback situation. Even if they do take a rookie, is he going to get acclimated quick enough to make DK happy? So I just want your thoughts on that just because I think that's something that's not talked about a lot and it could have huge fantasy implications as well. It's, um, it's perfect that you bring that up because at the NFL owners meetings this week, that's been sort of a, to- a topic of conversation because um, the, the biggest thing that people are, are glomming onto is the fact that John Schneider and Pete Carroll use the word they intend to keep, uh, you know, DK Metcalf. They said the same damn thing at the combine. We intend to keep Russell Wilson. That's their intent. So people have, have, have glommed onto that. Also just the fact that Schneider was pretty openly like, I think he actually used the word wow when he started seeing when he was answering questions from reporters about uh, Devontae Adams, about Tyree Kill. And yeah, no, I I could see them potentially wanting to make that move. Lockett is already on a deal that they could potentially look to trade away. I mean, it's tough to I, I would frankly, I, it's hard to be surprised, right? Like if DK Metcalf gets dealt at this point, it, if you had said to me a month ago, hey, buddy, uh, Tyree Kill is going to be on the Dolphins and Devontae Adams is going to be on the Raiders. I'm like, Shut, shut up no he's, yeah. no that's not happening but so like we should be open mind to anything it is like given the age of dk metcalf i think it would be slightly more surprising given the other two table or the other two um guys there but you know if your team like green bay if your team like kansas city and you have an extra you know first round pick i know that it would be kind of odd to go outside your building pay that big money to a guy that you know when you just kind of balked at paying the big money to players you know and, and have been in your building but it would make a ton of sense also the jets i mean that has been like a huge connection point there which 
look, you dropped DK Metcalf on that uh, on that offense. I don't know about you. I'm a huge Elijah Moore fan. I think he could be. Yeah. I think he could be a number one receiver. Now you have potentially two number ones, and Corey Davis is like a solid veteran guy too. Now it's like you're kind of cooking there for Zach Wilson. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch what hap- what happens with that situation. So that was just a question I wanted to float out there. Well, and I I appreciate you you bringing it up because there's one thing I hate is um you know great receivers going into the quarterback wilderness and at, while we yeah. are so happy that Cortland Sutton and you know Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick these guys that are great players they're they're exiting quarterback wilderness on t- coming on the on ramp is Tyler Lockett yeah. DK Metcalf so if we can get either of those guys out of Seattle I'm cool with it um but diving back into the the wide receiver prospects here who's kind of your I don't know if I want to say like who's your top five, but um, we'll we'll be basic here. Who's kind of your top five guys in, in this year's drive? I know you you rattled off uh, a bunch of different names there, but it's kind of who's your favorite, and then you know rest of the guys you could see kind of being in the first round. Because it seems like five or six are going to go in round one. Yeah, I feel comfortable with saying I think you hit the nail on the head as far as the amounts. I think five or six. I think six definitely is possible, and. The five that I feel really good about as far as going in the first round, Garrett Wilson already touched on him from Ohio State. Drake London from USC. Depending on what happens at that April 5th private workout, I think he'll be fine as long as he keeps his time in the four fives. I think he'll still end up being a top 20 pick, even though there's some people that like him in the top 10. That's a little bit too rich for that's me. That's aggressive, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's I like London. I like London. Do you have – do you have – um? I know there's like all these tags out there like he can't get open. I mean, I don't know, man. Yeah. I think the guy is pretty – I think he's a good route runner and I mean, he, he's just so physical and just, he really does. There are some shades of Mike Evans to his game. And I love, I love Mike Evans. I think he's like still kind of weirdly underrated, but man, I mean, the way he plucks the ball um, out of the air, the way he can shield off defenders on slant routes and stuff like that. He's, I I really like Drake London. So there's, two comparisons that I wrote down and I just don't like comparing big guys to Mike Evans because I think Mike I Evans is I hate so too, underrated. He's so underrated. I, I hate it too, but there, there are yeah. some moments, man. There's yeah. some moments. And I, I'm I, with it's, you. It's tough. So I wrote down Mike Williams from the Chargers. Mm-hmm. I think he's one player that he reminds me of. And if you remember, there was a lot of debates about him coming out of Clemson and that he yep. was that big go up and get it type of wide receiver that didn't create a lot of separation, but he ends up being a number seven overall pick. And, he just got $20 million a year himself. And then also you said another name earlier that I think he reminds me of is Cortland Sutton. And if you oh, remember yeah. when Cortland Sutton was coming out, there was a lot of the similar issues coming out with him as far as would his skill set, as far as how he wins, would that translate to the next level? So I understand why there's split opinions on Drake London, just because we've been burned, including myself, of some by some of these wide receivers. And I always circle back to that 2016 class of where we spent so much time debating these guys, yeah. Laquan Treadwell, Josh Dotson, those guys. We spent so much time debating those guys. I think there's kind of still a little bit of PTSD with some of those guys, especially <laughs> myself. Like Treadwell taught me so much when I was coming oh, up yeah. and getting into scouting. I learned so much from that 2016 class. So, And I, I think London's a much better prospect than uh, Treadwell was coming out. But just painting that picture of why there is a little bit of hesitancy with him but I, I think he's going to be a first rounder all day. But after that, I have Jamison Williams from Alabama, who probably would have been a top 10 selection if he did, if he doesn't tear his ACL in the national title game, just so special as far as his vertical speed. I wrote down, he's a gear shift runner. Like he's so good with shifting his weight to transition his weight. He can sink his hips and get in and out of his breaks. Everybody saw the double move that he had against Georgia in the SEC title game of where he just ran past Keely Ringo 
who's a player we'll be talking about a lot this time next year. So I like Jameson Williams a lot, but you have to factor in the ACL, uh, which yeah, is a big sucks. deal. Yeah. So, but luckily for him, he could go to Green Bay or Kansas City, somebody like that in the back end of the first round, even like a Tennessee, Tennessee Titans. I think that's another situation of where, even though he doesn't match up well with the quarterback and Ryan Tannehill, they need a wide receiver now that Julio isn't there anymore. So luckily for him, for him, he'll probably go to a better team. And then rounding it out, Chris Olave from Ohio State. I touched on him. And then another one I do want to talk about a little bit, who was a little bit polarizing now that we have had the combine is Traylon Burks from Arkansas, that big body, go up and get it type of wide receiver, more in your gadget type of mold. Um, the thing with him, though, is he has to be paired with a creative offensive coordinator, and everybody's going to use the the comparison of how he's a bigger Debo Samuel. Um, uh, which talk uh, about a comparison? You yeah, said you hate to compare big guys to to, yeah. to Mike Evans. I'm pretty much going to hate any sort of like. Yeah. I mean, because even even last year, like pre Debo's massive year last year, you know, people were like, "Oh, Kadarius Tony, he could be Debo." I'm like, I mean. Maybe. Yeah, he's. Nah, I don't know about that. Like, it's just, yeah, that's going to be a tough comparison to make. It is. It is. And Burks is so unique just because he's 6'2, 225 pounds. And I think Arkansas kind of did him a disservice just because of how they used him. And what I mean by that is they were just trying to get the ball in his hands and they treated him like the best kid on the high school football team. Like, they <laughs> yeah, played him at yeah. Wildcat quarterback. Sometimes he lined up at running back. Sometimes he played slot. And then he'd go outside too. So, and how that kind of negatively affected him is that. He's just not a great route runner right now. He's not really good as far as his creativity and just his decisiveness and snapping off his routes. That's just something he isn't really polished at right now. That's not to say he'll never be a good route runner, even an above average one, but it's but it's just something that he's always going to fight with early on in his career. Uh, yeah, and I'm not trying to to dog Kadarius Tony a second time in the matter of five minutes, but like him last year, I was like, man, just like you said, I wanted him to go to a creative offensive coordinator, somebody who could be, you know, really progressive in how he designs his role. And then he goes to the freaking giants with Jason Garrett. And I'm like, yeah. all right, well now I'm not excited about what's going to happen with Kadarius Tony Burks. I feel like is going to be in a similar vein. If he ends up with a really high end offensive mind, just like you said, I could be pretty excited about how it's going to go. But yeah, if he ends up with a Jason Garrett type, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but like he ends up with a Jason Garrett type, I might be a little you know, more hesitant that he's going to take those developmental steps. Going back to Chris Olave. I'm still kind of like working through some of these guys, you know, so far here. So, um, I, but man, he is a player I really like and a player that I feel like, I, and I'm not saying that either of your other three guys are ahead of him. I like Drake London, Jameson Williams or, and, and Garrett Wilson. I'm not saying they're going to be like busts or anything like that, that, but I could see Olave as like a guy who, you know, it just ends up being such a good pro receiver. I think of like a Chris Godwin several years ago, you know, they're not, I'm not, they don't, I don't know. They're going to play the same type of role. I don't know if he's going to be like a Chris Godwin type of player, but Godwin was a guy headed into that 2017 class where we're talking about Corey Davis and Mike Williams and John Ross. And I'm sitting there thinking Chris Godwin's going in the third round. He's going to be a better player than all, all of these guys. And yeah. you know that ends up happening because he's not, I guess he just wasn't as flashy. Could you, I feel like Olave could be a guy who, other players are going to go ahead of him, but he could just end up being the most, not maybe not the best receiver from the class, but like just a really productive guy in hindsight that should, probably should have gone higher. He's what everybody wanted Will Fuller to be when he was coming out of Notre Ooh, Dame. Nice. I think that's, if you're just trying to paint a picture of what he could be on the next level, now his hands are much more consistent than what Will Fuller's have ever been. But as far as just the polish Same. that he has, <laughs> just as far as the polish that he has as a route runner, 
just how easy everything is for him. And he's not just a deep threat. I think that's something that gets a little bit confused with him of how he's just a vertically based wide receiver. He can attack in short to intermediate areas too. He has really good hands. Now he's not going to be the he's not going to be the wide receiver that goes up and attacks the ball and wins at the catch point. That's just not his game. He's so good with creating separation just because he's so smooth. And I think another comparison that is really translatable for him is Robbie Anderson as far as the body type and then just the speed dynamic that he brings to the table. I think Chris Olave can be that type of wide receiver for a core on the next level. Now, I think he's more of a high-end wide receiver too, but he brings such a unique skill set just because of the speed that he has. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. And again, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is a great player comparison, but similar to like Calvin Ridley, several, you know, sucks what's going on with Calvin Ridley right now. But like, you know, I thought like when he came into the NFL draft, like, I don't know that Calvin Ridley's ever going to be a number one, but like he would be a great number two. And then he ends up becoming a great number two across from Julio Jones. And then, you know, Julio gets hurt and Calvin Ridley puts up number one receiver numbers. Like maybe Olave, if he ends up across from a great wide receiver one, he could eventually become that wide receiver one in time. If he learns from a vet like that, but I don't know. I just, he's a player I really like early on in the process. Um, uh, Before we move away from wide receivers, which I mean, I could talk wide receivers all, all damn day. We know that, but like, before we move away from that position, any other guys outside kind of your top five that you just, you look at and you're like, man, I really like this player and would love to see him land in a good spot. Yeah, so there's actually two guys that I like quite a bit. And the first one, his name the is depth Khalil. of the position, baby. Yeah. The depth <laughs> of the position. <laughs> <laughs> it's the great thing about wide receiver classes. You just can dive so deep into these guys. And it's not just the first round. I think there's some depth on day two and day three. And the first one, his name is Khalil Shakir from Boise State. And I had an opportunity to see him at the senior bowl. And I was just really enamored by him. More of your thickly built type of wide receiver. He's about six foot, about 195 pounds. I think that's where he came in at the combine. Surprisingly ran four three, high four threes. I did not see that on tape, but that is really good for him. Really was everything for the Boise State offense. And he just progressively got better every single year. So Khalil Shakir is another name or one name I would say to keep an eye on. Then the other one is Alec Pierce from Cincinnati. And he's another one that I got an opportunity to live scout this year. I saw him when they played against East Carolina and he was dominant in that game. Bigger wide receiver, about six foot three, 210 pounds, really athletic, ran in the four threes, jumped 40 plus in the vertical two, uh, which wasn't surprising. He shows all that stuff on tape. Isn't a natural separator as far as with his routes. I think he is an above average route runner, but he's not one that's going to create consistent separation. But as far as attacking at the catch point, I think that's where he wins at the most but it's not a situation of where that's his bread and butter or where that's what he relies on solely but I think he can be a high-end wide receiver two or at at worst be a wide receiver three walking through the door nice yeah Shakir's a guy did not have film on yet so he's someone I gotta maybe track yeah because I I gotta let me let me know what you think when you check him out out. he's he's really really good Interesting. All right. Yeah, that's a new name for me. Good. Uh, okay. Spinning back a little bit, uh, if the class as a whole, um, you know, the entire class, and you don't have to just stick with offensive players on this one. Um, what are like the strengths of this overall 2022 class? Like where, where, where like, again, the, the vibe of the class type of thing. It's all about the defense. I mean, the edge rusher yeah. is loaded. We see it at the top with Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau and even Trayvon Walker, who's made an astronomical rise through the pre-draft process. So defensive end is one area that's really strong. Cornerback is really strong. I think through the first two days of the draft, there's a little bit of a drop-off once we get into the fourth round. But Ahmad Sauce Gardner and then Derek Stingley, it starts with both of those guys, but Trent McDuffie 
And there's plenty of other names that possibly could go in that first round range too. So cornerback is really strong. I think safety has some really good ones too. Kyle Hamilton is at the top, but there's some really good depth after that. I think we could see after Hamilton, we could see a run of guys go in that 25 to 40 range. And then just the defensive line as a whole, I think there's some strong points on that too. Defensive tackle really made a strong run to end the year. We saw Jordan Davis, the ridiculous combine that oh he put God. up. Yeah, just a ridiculous <laughs> performance. And then his teammate right beside him, Devontae Wyatt, really made a huge rise throughout the pre-draft process too. So it's all about the defense in this draft as a whole. Yeah, pass rusher seems to be where this group is strongest, both at the top and, and you know, kind of throughout. Um, yeah. So on that note, uh, based on just who would you take number one in this draft? If you, I don't want to tell you to be Trent Baalke, right? Because – yeah, tough scene there. <laughs> but if Jordan Reed is is the GM for the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, who 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 should be the number one pick in this draft? It's, it's Aiden Hutchinson, just because you want to okay. go with the player that has the high floor, especially when you're picking in the top three, even the top five. You want to make sure you get that pick right. And sometimes you can swing for the fences just depending on the situation that you're in. But if you're picking in the top five, obviously you weren't a very good football team last year. And the Jaguars are just in a situation where they just need to add talent to the roster. And even though they had to overspend quite a bit to get some of the free agents through the door, you're starting to see some of the talent stack up on the roster now just because they want to take advantage of Trevor Lawrence being on that rookie deal just because that's the greatest weapon in team building in the NFL is taking advantage of that quarterback while he's on a rookie contract. We saw it with the Chargers, the moves that they made. We saw it with the Bengals bringing in that offensive line and some of the weapons that they added to. And then some of the other teams throughout the league too with young quarterbacks. So I think just them taking advantage of that rookie deal we saw some of the free agents that they bought in with Christian Kirk and then some of the other names that they bought in offensive line help too. But if I was Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson, I would take Aiden Hutchinson with the number one overall pick. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fascinating because you said like you, you want to build around Trevor Lawrence, like, and there are some good tackles at the top of this class, but like they just franchise tag Cam Robinson for a second time. That kind of indicates like you probably want, him to stick around long term you know they draft walker little last year the team yeah. seems kind of high on juan taylor too even though like i wouldn't say he's been a, a top 10 tackler or anything so far in his career or whatever but like it's interesting there i do think there are like there are several teams inside the top 10 that have got to be looking at some of these guys like icky and everything up at the top like they could really improve uh their offensive lines yeah, and I was at NC State's Pro Day today to watch Ikiakuanu, but he only bench-pressed. That's all he did. But I got an opportunity to see him live against Wake Forest this year, and he's everything. He's as good as advertised. So I would be shocked if he got past the Giants or the Panthers at six. I think that's his floor right now as far as where he could go. Now it's ceiling. Uh, Detroit obviously is not going to add any offensive line help. They're pretty set there. The Texans at three. I think that's probably his ceiling. I just don't see Jacksonville adding another pick along the offensive line. They just don't have any need there. Yeah, Hutchinson, it would be like, like you said, you're hitting like a triple, right? Even if he's not going to become, you know, a defensive player of the year type candidate guy, like you hit a triple there, you got him and Josh Allen, your defense is suddenly looking a lot better. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, you, you mentioned the Panthers. Oh, my God. You mentioned the Panthers. That's a beautiful <laughs> transition to the next question here, which is the quarterbacks. Okay, the quarterback, uh, Matt Rule said today that he sees – he's like, I, I think one of these quarterbacks will go top ten. I'm like, well, if anybody should be doing it, pal, it's probably you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? So let's talk quarterbacks here. Uh, the crop is not, like, highly regarded. Um, but where, what's your thoughts overall on the class? Obviously it's it's not going to be like last year where we have five guys go in the first round, but do you think these guys could end up getting pushed up the board? 
Yeah, I mean, I like to call it the quarterback tax. It happens every year, especially after yeah. we see pro days and everybody goes back and watches their film. I think there's going to be some guys that are pushed up the board. I think we could get two guys inside of the top 10. Detroit taking one at two. That actually wouldn't surprise me one bit just because Jared Goff, everybody knows he's not the long-term guy there. So maybe they take a swing on Malik Willis at number two overall. Not saying it's going to happen, but it wouldn't surprise me if they do take him just because they coached him at the Senior Bowl as well. And they've had a wealth of experience with him throughout the pre-draft process. So I think the quarterback clock really starts at number two overall. But there's so many obvious spots in the top 10. The Panthers at six, I think they have to take one at this point just because you can't trot Sam Darnold out there. And not even for for one game as a starter. I just don't think you can do that. It's embarrassing. Yeah, Atlanta at eight. (laughs) I think that's the spot where we could see a quarterback go. But I think think they're going to just omit taking a quarterback this year, honestly, just because that roster is so bad right now. I just don't see a situation where you could put a quarterback in it right now. You're just going to waste the entire rookie deal while you're building up that roster. So I think they're fine with Mariota giving him a one-plus-one deal. Uh, give him the option for the second year to come back in 2023. So I think he's a really good bridge for a 2023 quarterback if you want to take one there. The commanders at 11, I'm not even going to rule them out. Uh, just be, even though, I mean, Carson Wentz, he is what he is at this point, honestly. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if they take one. But one one team I do want you to keep an eye on that has done a significant amount of homework on, and it wouldn't surprise me if they end up trading inside of the top five, is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm. And Mitchell Trubisky, they seem signed. they seem to love Malik Willis. Like from yeah, they, that, that's that, the buzz that right seems, now. Yeah, that's that's the buzz right now. I'm not saying they're going to take Malik, but that's just the buzz right now that they have Malik very high, or they think very highly of Malik right now. And you know Kevin Colbert, who's the GM, and then also Mike Tomlin. They've been at every single quarterback pro day. They've been at every one that I've been at, and I've been at every one except Matt Corral and Kenny Pickett. And Mike Tomlin has stood behind each and every quarterback. So they're obviously doing their homework on each and every guy. But Malik Willis seems to be the one that they're most connected to right now. It may be a smoke screen. They may trade up for Kenny Pickett. You never know what make it happen with the draft. But one thing I will say about this quarterback class is that we've been so blessed with having quarterbacks at the top over the past three years, whether it's Kyler Murray in 2019, Joe Burrow the year after that, and then Trevor Lawrence a year ago. We don't really know how to react when we don't have an underwhelming quarterback class. And I think that's why this quarterback class is getting uh, so much negativity towards it, just because we've had back-to-back-to-back really good quarterback classes. As far as we knew, there was a guy that stood out as far as going number one overall. But in this class, we're not going to have a quarterback go number one overall. And then we don't even know who the first quarterback selected is going to be. So I think that's what makes this class so polarizing and why everybody is so down on it right now uh are Pickett and Willis your top two guys yeah they are right now but I mean in that order or or flipped yeah so Willis has been my QB one for about two months now I I just think the upside with him just being around him the charisma the personality just the leadership qualities that he has I feel really good as far as him being the first quarterback selected right now but you never know we could get a a Blake Bortles type of situation of what we had in 2014. (laughs) You just never know, especially with it being a down quarterback class. And that's what this quarterback class kind of reminds me of as far as we don't really know who's going to be the first one to go. And I think it was Bortles, Menzel, and Bridgewater in that class. So you just never know who's going to be the first one selected. That's Yeah, that's an interesting comparison to 2014 class. Like, And again, yeah, Blake Bortles, that was 
that was a pretty damn good it might have been the only damn good thing like david caldwell and those guys did was they kept that a secret uh yeah. like they that was a shock to a lot of folks that he ended up being that third overall pick for them. Maybe there is like a, a non well-kept secret like that, that, you know, or, or a well-kept one that ends up, you know, becoming the big move inside the top 10 for quarterbacks. I like Malik Willis a lot, man. Um, and not just because he went to that other school in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. I went to one of the, I went to Lynchburg college, Lynchburg college, now university of Lynchburg. So cross the, cross the way there uh, from Liberty. But look, I think, the the rushing upside is obviously tremendous. We know that he seems like he's got a great arm, but do you think he's a guy that just needs to sit an entire year? Um, yeah. And yeah, okay, you do. Yeah, he he's really really raw right now. Like I don't even think he's as far along as what Josh Allen was coming out of Wyoming. I think he's that type of project, and that's why I say I think Detroit is an ideal situation for him. I think Carolina that's would a be a disaster one. just because yeah, he, has exactly, right? he has to play. He has to play right yeah. away. So I just think he needs to go somewhere of where he could sit, even if it's for a year or two, like a Trey Lance situation that he's going through right now, just because he's just so raw. He's really, really raw right now, but you just love the upside and the tools that are already present, but he just needs to sit somewhere and just understand the nuances and the details of the position. Pittsburgh, again, interesting. They give, you know, Mitchell Trubisky like the constant placeholder contract. So that would make a lot of sense there. Other quarterbacks, you know, besides Pickett and Willis that you you think are interesting in this class, you know, potential maybe round one guys or or just interesting maybe on day two. The crazy thing about this quarterback class, Matt, is that if any of these guys go in the first round, it would not surprise me just because. Yeah. Just quarterback thirst is real. Yeah, just talking to scouting buddies that I have. If you ask five different people, they have five different orders as far as who their quarterback or the top three quarterbacks are. There's some teams that like Matt Corral, and I understand why they like Corral just because he plays the game so quick. The biggest thing for him, along with Sam Howell, was that they were in a very QB friendly system. So just transitioning out of that and just being more having more responsibilities of the avalanche of information that they're going to get at the line of scrimmage. I think that's going to be the big adjustment period for them. But Desmond Ritter is one guy that I think is probably the most polished of the bunch. And I could easily see a team falling in love with him and taking him in round one. Yeah, athletic guy too, right? I mean, yeah. you've had a pretty decent combine and everything, so it makes a ton of sense there. Yeah, I, I mean, look, these quarterbacks are going to get pushed up the board. I do think Pickett, maybe Pickett somewhere along the lines. I'm going to run a comparison by you. You can tell me if this is stupid or not. I think he's kind of on like the Jimmy G, Kirk Cousins axis of quarterbacks. Does that make sense? It's exactly what he is. It's exactly. I think he hit the nail on the head with that. He's experienced, 24 years old, walking through the door has a wealth of experience, played in 52 career games when he was at Pitt, proven winner during his final year, had that big leap year. And, you know, that big leap year can scare a lot of people, but we saw Joe Burrow have the success that he has had from LSU now into the league. Not saying Kenny Pickett is going to be the next Joe Burrow, but just talking about that big leap year that quarterbacks can make. So I think if you're trying to hit a double or a triple, in a sense, I think you go for a guy like a Kenny Pickett or a Desmond Ritter. But if you want to swing for the fences and go for a potential home run, I think now you're talking about your Malik Willis's and that type of quarterback. Well, uh, David Tepper is a pit booster. Matt Rule recruited Kenny Pickett Temple. That picture's flying around on Twitter. So yeah. there's another uh, potential connection there uh, we could see. All right, let's round this out discussion here before we let you go, Jordan, with the running back crop. Um, first question. Do any running backs go in round one in your estimation? And who is your personal RB1? You never know with these running backs just because, and we talked about him a little bit earlier, Clyde Edwards-Elair. He was the one that was really surprising to be a back end of the first round type of player. But I don't think any would go in the first round, honestly. If there was one that did go in the first round, I think it's between Brees Hall 
from Iowa State, and then also Kenneth Walker III from Michigan State. I think those are the two that are in contention to go in the first round. I don't think they will, but if there was a team that does take them in the back end of the first round, uh, it would be either one of those two. But I love this running back class overall. I think it's one of the more underrated groups overall, and we don't have a Najee Harris or Travis Etienne that are probably bona fide first-rounders in this group like a lot of people were projecting. But I can make a strong argument that outside of defensive end, I think this is the most deepest position in the draft. And I mean, I could reel off 15 names <laughs> right now of guys that could go anywhere from the third to the fifth round. And I think they could go on to be really productive pros, but one name that I love, and I don't think he's the best of the bunch, but I think could go on to be a really good pro is James Cook from Georgia. Dalvin Cook's the younger brother. I, I really yeah, like him a lot go. as far as just the value that he provides not only as a rusher, but you can split him out wide and use him in the slot as a receiver too. So James Cook, I like him a lot. And there's plenty of other names that I like in this class too. You you mentioned uh, Hall and Walker. Um, what order do you have those guys in? And kind of like, what's the strength of those two players? Because it does seem like to me that those are the consensus one and two. And then it's kind of like, it gets interesting from three and, and on. Yeah, so Brees Hall, um, he's a really tall runner in a sense. I think he's probably best in the outside zone scheme, just like what he ran at Iowa State. So good with the short area quickness, has really good vision, really good ball security. Scored a touchdown in 24 straight games, which is huge for running backs. He's just, he finishes what I like to call the ball in the paint. Like he gets the ball in the paint. He, he finishes um, he finishes plays with touchdowns. He has the long speed that you're looking for, ran 439 at the combine, which was a surprise to some people, but it does show up on tape quite a bit. Does need some, he has some work to do as far as a pass protector. I think that's something that he has to clean up in his game. And it's not a sense of where he's afraid to step in and do it. It's just the technique that he tries to execute it with that just has to be sharpened up a little bit. But I think he has the potential to be a lead back in a committee. And then Kenneth Walker the third. it wouldn't surprise me if he goes on to be a rookie of the year type of rusher. Mm, I think yeah. he's very reminiscent of Kareem Hunt when he was coming out of Kent State. Just that thick, low-to-the-ground type of no-nonsense runner. He'll run through you. He can juke around you, but he's just a professional tackle breaker. Like, there's some tackles that he comes out of that you're just like, man, how in the hell did he get out of that? But he just has a natural <laughs> ability to just break tackles. And I think that's something that translates to the next level. It's just, it's not a skill, but it's just something that just comes natural to some running backs like Kareem Hunt of where he was just able to naturally break tackles. So Kenneth Walker, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes on to be the first running back taken of the bunch, but I think it's between those two. And then the last one is Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, who's kind of been a little bit underwhelming throughout the pre-draft process, but you just kind of have to trust the tape with him, not an overly explosive type of player is not an overly great catcher for the football either, which does worry me a little bit with him. But if you're looking for a one cut and go get vertical type of runner, he is that type. You mentioned, uh, you know, obviously Kenneth Walker, potential rookie of the year type. Uh, if he landed in a good spot, I totally would see it. He has three, three and uh, 13 catches in his three seasons. But I saw, I heard my buddy, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network uh, saying that, you know, Mel Tucker has been sending him like practice footage of him crushing, catching yeah. the ball. So, I mean, if DJ's out there saying that, uh, I, I, I trust it. So uh, he's a guy I'm definitely really excited to see where he lands. All right, Jordan, we'll get you out of here uh, on this question. Who is your, like, your guy in this draft? Um, you know, it, it can be at any position. It could be at the top of the draft. It could be, like, the la you know seventh-round gem type of guy. Who is your guy that people need to look out for? Yeah, that's quite a bit in this class, but one that I am just enamored by. His name is Jalen Petrie. He's a safety from Baylor. 
And as a safety, he's a box safety for the most part. He kind of reminds you of Tyron Matthew when he was coming out of LSU as far as he just has a, a nose for the football. And in Dave Aranda's defense, he played that star position, which Micah Fitzpatrick made notable and Nick Saban's defense. He played that star position. And just everything that comes out about him from the program is that he just loves football. He led the Big 12 in tackles for loss as a safety with 18 and a half, was the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year last year. And he, he, I think his game just translates really well. Now, the biggest question with him is just how he's going to hold up in coverage, which is something that I focused on a lot at the Senior Bowl. And I thought he was terrific in coverage. Now, the Senior Bowl doesn't erase a four-year career that he had. But I think it's just one of those situations of where he just wasn't asked to do it a whole bunch in Dave Aranda's defense. But now he's going to be in a role in the NFL, depending on where he lands, of where he can show off what he can do in coverage. But one thing that I always come back to with Petrie that I love about him is that he was in Matt Rule's first recruiting class of where they went 1-11. And they just were not a very good football team. But now look at the turnaround that they have had with Dave Aranda. And he was a team captain. He was the leader of the defense. And once again, everything that comes out about him is that he just loves football. So sign me up for a player like that. I'm a big fan of Jalen Petrie. Love it. All right. I'm keeping that name uh, tabbed. I'll be uh, I'll be checking out all these guys you've talked about. This is like, I think this is a really good kind of intro to the 2022 class for the listeners out there who like me are still kind of getting accustomed to this whole thing. Jordan, I really appreciate you making the time, especially uh, late for you. Thanks for being flexible and everything. What do you have to promote to the people out there that they can dive into as we're heading into full-time draft coverage? I mean, it's going to be nonstop for the next like month here. Yeah, so I have a bunch of content coming out on ESPN.com over the next week or so. I have a so me and Matt Miller are running a perfect draft series of where we're doing seven round mock drafts for each team inside the top ten. He he already did the Jets last week, which is already up on the site, and I'm doing the Giants this week. That'll be up early next week, and then in two weeks I'll have a full seven round mock draft, all 262 picks, where I'm predicting what each team will do. So be on the lookout for that. And then we're updating our positional rankings and our top 50 big boards each and every week, uh, along with Matt and myself, Todd and Mel, too. So be on the lookout for that on ESPN.com. Bro, seven round mock draft. That's like, yeah, man, that's some serious stuff. <laughs> <laughs> fun, fun stuff. Um, I, I had my dreams of being a draft guy, you know, way back in the day and then decided to go into more just focusing on one position and obviously leaning into fantasy a little bit too. As, as a full-time draft guy, how much do you like, what's your love hate relationship with uh, mock drafts? They're really for fans. Honestly, <laughs> you can, you can ask any draft analyst. We don't like doing them. It's really for fans and it drives views and it, it creates good discussion too. And I enjoy doing stuff just because it helps me keep up with the tendencies of each team too, which is what sure. I do yeah. a lot of homework on just because I don't like to put a lot of fluff out there as far as each team. I, I, the picks that I project, I want to make sure it makes sense. And some of the tendencies that they have shown under each regime, I just like doing my homework and it helps me as well, just trying to predict some players that they would like, some players that don't meet some of the thresholds that they have to. So I enjoy doing mock drafts. You know, it's it's you say it's for the fans, but again, you got to get people in the door. Like you got them in the door and then they're like, 
hey, this Jordan Reed guy knows what he's talking about. Let me go check out his <laughs> big board, his top five, blah, blah, blah. Like, that. again, you're getting some people. I mean, obviously, there's going to be some people come in and, you know, they're just jerks or whatever. But you're getting people in the door, Jordan, and that's what matters. But, hey, again, really appreciate your time here, man. You're crushing over there at ESPN. Good luck. Obviously, I know it's going to be a busy time for you. And, again, I thank you for making the time uh, for us. But that is going to do it for this episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. You can follow Jordan at Jordan underscore Reed. Always love another underscore on the podcast here with me. That means a lot. And while you're there, of course, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. Andy and Scott will be back with a fresh episode on Thursday. Until then, we're out.